Now you may remember last year that Ian Foster's job as All Blacks coach was on a knife's edge. Remember? Painful days. After thumping Ireland in the first test, what happened in the second test? The Irish levelled the series, their first ever win on New Zealand soil. Now this meant that the third test would be a series decider. Now what I'm going to show you is a clip from the excellent documentary called Loyalty. Uh, Loyalty is a, a documentary put out by the New Zealand Rugby Union where the players oft, uh, speak in their own words as well as they're adding some video clips of what was happening. So brace yourself for some painful memories. The under pressure All Blacks were lock horns with Ireland in just under an hour. How much pressure is Ian Foster under to get the right result tonight? This is a huge game for the All Blacks. We haven't had a serious decider in New Zealand for some time. Last week was New Zealand's biggest home defeat in three decades. It has caused the entire nation to sit up and take notice. It's a huge night ahead. A lot of heat on this All Black team this week. Let's see how they respond. We knew the external pressure. We badly wanted to beat the Irish at home. The decider, it all comes down to this. Now, this is a really good heat. I mean, it's not like someone's died, but it's probably the next worst thing. Back-to-back -back home defeats for the first time since 1998. The team's now lost four of their last five games. Ireland are now better than the All Blacks. There can be no argument about that. The noise around the All Blacks series lost to Ireland has been almost deafening. I don't know where we go from here, I don't know. There's cracks everywhere in this team and the way we play. Well, we just weren't good enough. Simple as that. All Blacks fans aren't used to losing, and lately there has been a lot of it. Well, that was a bit painful, wasn't it? Did you like Bowden Barrett's comment? It's not like someone died, but it's pretty close to it. Wow. After this series defeat, do you know what the All Blacks had to do next? They had to travel away to South Africa and play two more tests. Talk about out of the frying pan into the fire. And to New Zealand's collective horror, All Blacks lost the first test in South Africa. This was three losses back-to-back. -back. And taking into account the previous year's matches, that meant they had lost five of their last six games. And their next game was in Alice Park. What a cauldron of rugby that is. Wow. And if you remember at the time, amongst the panic and the national hysteria, Voices from every quarter were demanding that Foster be replaced by Mark Robinson. And so the All Blacks knew when they were running out onto Alice Park, they were playing for their coach's future. And after an epic match, the All Blacks delivered. The players delivered a resounding victory. They won well and decisively. However, on the bus ride back to the hotel, Four senior players decided more needed to be done for their coach. They still felt that even though they won that game, that Foster's job as coach was on the line and they wanted to do something about it. And so we're going to pick up in their own words what they did 
to save the coach's job. But in two weeks' time, do you expect to be the All Blacks coach against Argentina? I've got no idea. So um, I'm just going to enjoy tonight. And I was just being honest. I didn't know what the answer was, you know. And, and I've got to respect the fact that there's people there making decisions and that's their job. I kind of felt, OK, not a bad way to go. I actually went back to the shed and just sat there by myself, had a few tears. But, like, for some of us, we knew what was going on behind the scenes too. People were out for our throats, really, and they were out for our coach's head, and it was brutal. Yeah, I just wanted to make it public, like, all the things that us players don't like them and that, well, I'm going to shut that door. A fair bit went down between the game and flying home. We were on the bus on the way back and we'd heard all these rumours around Robbo's keen to have a chat tomorrow. We were on the way back, music on, and we just sort of said, well, why don't we just see him tonight when we get back? We just felt like we needed to have a conversation to Robbo and back our coach. I think when Robbo saw us all walking, he's like, oh, you want a beer or a wine? You know, it's after a game. We were, nah, we were there for business. Each one of us just shared what we thought was happening in the team, what we thought of Foz, what we thought as leaders. Big Dog took that feedback in and, yeah, you can get people's opinions, but you look at his fruit and his fruit's us, the players, and we're the ones that are saying he's a great coach. Very moving, isn't it? So the All Blacks walked into Mark Robinson's room and he said, do you want a beer or a wine? And they said, nah, we're here for business. And then Artie, he said, well, you know, what's the fruit of the coach's tenure? Well, the fruit is us. Interesting, a staff reporter summarised what played out in that hotel room like this. And I'll quote from the article the reporter wrote. Sam Kane. Bowden Barrett, Aaron Smith and Adi Savia went to the New Zealand rugby boss Mark Robinson and Johannesburg hotel room to intercede on their coach's behalf because they believed it was the right thing to do. Now, it was actually this reporter's article that put me onto the documentary, and as I said, I highly recommend that you have a look at the whole documentary. It's, it's only half an hour, and it's a really good watch. But I was really intrigued by the way that the reporter used the word intercede. The senior players interceded for their embattled coach. And do you know, for a word that's normally reserved for religion and the church, I believe the reporter got its use 100% right. That's exactly what interceding is. It's going into bat for someone else. That's what intercessory prayer is all about. Going into bat for someone else. And this is the idea that we'll be exploring this morning. What is intercessory prayer? Who knew that we had a lot to learn from the All Blacks? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, we pray that your spirit will help us to hear what we need to hear and that by the end of it we will be better at praying for others and spending time in your presence. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
So our approach this morning will be threefold. We'll, we'll look at intercessory prayer, we'll define intercessory prayer, and we'll look at the practice of Jesus, and then the practice of the church. Three things, definition, practice of Jesus, practice of the church. And before we do this, let's root this morning's message in 1 Peter. I won't be drawing extensively from 1 Peter as I have over the last few weeks, but we'll use this verse to springboard us in today's sermon. As we journey through 1 Peter, Peter starts to bring up the topic of prayer, and he says this in chapter 4, verse 7. Therefore be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. That's exactly what I want us to be doing this morning that we can be clear-minded and self-controlled so that we can be better at prayer. So intercessory prayer. What is intercessory prayer? Well, that's just one form of prayer that we find in the Bible, and it's where we go on behalf of someone else to God in prayer and ask that they be blessed. So we're praying for others, something we do every Sunday, don't we? Intercessory prayer. We pray for ourselves And then we pray for others, and praying for others is the intercessory prayer. Often it's associated with a grabbing hold of God and not letting go. Not letting him go until we have an assurance about what we're praying for is going to be granted. At other times, intercessory prayer can be equally persistent, but finishes with a, your will be done, Lord. We're praying for someone else and we finish, your will be done. Let's look at a couple of examples from Peter. And not so much Peter doing the praying, but Peter receiving the prayer. Let's look at two examples where people interceded for Peter, and Peter was mightily blessed. And the first example is in Luke chapter 22. And here we have Jesus interceding for Peter. Luke 22 verse 31. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. I have interceded for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. So here we catch an insight into Jesus' personal prayer life. And it is this. Jesus has been praying. Jesus has been praying for Peter. That his faith will not fail. This is a great example of interceding. That despite Satan's attacks on Peter, that Peter will remain firm and strong. Jesus interceding. For Peter. Now, as a bit of an aside, this is exactly why Peter is writing his letter. He's writing his letter to people that are being persecuted, that are being attacked, that have Satan prowling around like a roaring lion after him. So Peter writes his letter so that their faith will not fail. Just as Jesus prayed for Peter that his faith will not fail. Anyway, that's a great example, isn't it, of our Lord Jesus interceding for Peter. Now, there's a second example where Peter is being prayed for, but this time he's being prayed for by the church. We fast forward to a time when Peter is in prison in Jerusalem. And the background is this. The outlook for Peter is very grim. It's the week of Passover. Now, Passover was the time of year that Jesus was also arrested and crucified. You imagine Peter being in prison that same week, what he's feeling. Maybe it's his turn to get crucified. And on top of this, his good friend and apostle James had just shortly before been arrested and executed by King Herod. 
So chapter 12 of Acts tells us that, that uh, Herod arrested the apostle uh, James, had him killed, and this so pleased the Jewish leaders that Herod thought, well, I'll do the same for Peter. So Peter knows that he's in jail. He knows that he will be on trial the next day, and more than likely by the end of the day, he'll be dead. However, he's not alone, because we read in Acts chapter 12, verse 5, So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The church was interceding for Peter. Now, they had gathered together. They had gathered together and they were praying. And we're familiar with the story because it was read before that though chained by each hand and though he had one soldier on his right, another soldier on his left, then and not only that, the prison uh, doors were also guarded, that an angel appeared in the middle of the night. And so all the guards were put into a deep sleep. And the angel walked Peter out of the prison and into the streets of Jerusalem and then disappeared. And Peter was in a daze. He thought it was a vision. And we pick this up in verse 12. What happens in verse 12? Um, when this had dawned on him, when it had dawned on him that it wasn't a vision, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. And so it was because of the prayers of the people, the intercessory prayers, that Peter was rescued, that he was saved. And of course, he knocked on the door and eventually the servant girl went to the door recognizing his voice. She was so excited, she didn't open the door. She ran back to the people praying and said, Peter's here. And they said, don't be ridiculous. Till eventually, with Peter knocking and knocking and knocking, they eventually led him in, and great was the rejoicing. Talk about answered prayer. You imagine their excitement and their boost of faith. Now, here's a bit of a mystery. A few weeks earlier, James... The apostle of Jesus had been arrested, and I'm sure the church gathered and prayed for him, but he was executed. A short time later, Peter, the apostle of Jesus, was arrested, and the church gathered and prayed for him, and he was rescued. Interesting, isn't it? It is a mystery. In fact, if we had time, chapter 12 has some really interesting and positive things to say about answered prayer. But for now, let us be reminded that we pray for others, not so that our wishes are fulfilled, but that God's will be done. So we pray not because we have a, a shopping list of people that we want blessed and we, 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 we know they're all going to be blessed in the way that we pray. We pray out of obedience and because we want to be part of the advancing of the kingdom of God. The answering of the prayers is in God's hand, but we pray. Like I said, a lot more can be said about this. But it's interesting, if we get back to Peter, Peter was doubly blessed, wasn't he? He was blessed because Jesus was praying for him, and he was blessed because the local church was praying for him. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we were likewise doubly blessed? Wouldn't that be amazing? And here's the thing. We are. We are being prayed for by both Jesus and the local church. Let's see how that works by looking at the practice of Jesus. Let me start by asking a question. 
Where is Jesus right now? Now we know that Jesus was raised physically from the grave and he had a body and he still has that body. He appeared to the disciples over a period of about 40 days and he ate with them and taught them and walked with him. But where is Jesus now? Well, we go and have a look at 1 Peter chapter 3. Verse 22, Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand. That's where Jesus is now, at God's right hand, with angels, authorities and powers in submission to him. And can't go past Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. And where is he? He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now here's the thing. The Holy Spirit is in each Christian. And his job, among other things, is to make Jesus real to us. In fact, you'll find when you're reading that the New Testament, sometimes the Holy Spirit is referred to as the Spirit of Jesus. And so we have the Holy Spirit in us, and his job is to make Jesus real to us, among other things. But when it's all said and done, Jesus is at the right hand of the throne of God. The Holy Spirit makes Jesus feel really close to us as we grow and walk with him, and it's wonderful, but he is at the Father's right hand. And you think, what's he doing there? Is he twiddling his thumbs? Has he been entertained by the angel choirs? What is Jesus doing at the right hand of the throne of God? Well, Romans 8.34 says this, Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and also is seating for us. And then the verse goes on to say, no, he does not condemn. So what's the train of thought here? Well, Peter, uh, sorry, Paul is finishing Romans 8 with a list of possible accusations against the Christian, possible condemnation that we're under. And he says, does Jesus condemn you? No, because he is interceding he is praying for you so jesus will not condemn you he is at the right hand praying for you and i and we see this again in hebrews chapter 7 verse 24 therefore jesus is able to save completely those who come to god through him because he always lives to intercede for them and that them is you and i just as jesus prayed for peter that his faith would not fail, guess what Jesus is doing now? He's praying for each of us that our faith will not fail. It's a little bit like this. Now, say I've done something stupid, not too hard for you to believe, and God says, I will smite Douglas. But Jesus leans over and says, Father, though he deserves it, I died for Douglas. I shed my blood for him, and he's forgiven. Now, even if it doesn't quite work like this, you get the point. Jesus is at God's right hand, and he is interceding for each one of us. He is on our side. And just like those senior all-back players went to talk to Mark Robinson and intercede for their coach, in a true and a better way, Jesus is before our Heavenly Father interceding for us. 
Now we have to play our part. We have to be quick to repent. When we make mistakes, when we sin intentionally or accidentally, we need to be very quick in saying, I'm sorry, Lord. You know, at the end of every day, do a little bit of an account of how you've gone. Lord, I'm sorry, forgive me. Or maybe the beginning of the next day, review the last 24 hours. So we need to be our part. And of course, you know, we may be reading God's word and we're challenged to do something that's a little bit hard. The Bible says we've got to forgive someone and they've done us some harm. Lord, please help us. What's Jesus doing? He's praying that we will have the strength to go through and forgive that person. So we do our part, but Jesus is on the right hand of the throne of God praying for each other. What an amazing thought, isn't it? Isn't it incredible? How blessed are we? But are we doubly blessed? Peter was doubly blessed because Jesus and the local church was praying for him. Where does the local church fit in? I mean, is St. Andrew's praying for me? Well, yes. Formally, or when I mean formally, I don't mean with these and thou's language, I mean intentionally and unintentionally or informally. That's a better word, isn't it? Formally and informally, St. Andrew's is praying for you. Now, let's see how we go. This is a bit of a checklist. On Thursday mornings, Gail leads a prayer meeting in the church where, among other things, they pray for the folk at St. Andrews. Now, it's an open prayer meeting, and everyone can go along, or you can email or give Gail a ring and share some needs that need praying. So every Thursday morning, among other things, that prayer group is praying for people in this church. Uh, then we have our prayer chain, where Margaret does a wonderful job coordinating prayer requests. And as we feed prayer requests into Margaret about ourselves and others, that gets emailed out to the prayer team and you are being prayed for. After the 9am service, just here at the front, there are a couple of people that will always be willing to pray if you want to go and share and receive prayer. Home groups are a wonderful place to pray for each other. And the leadership team, we, in our monthly meetings, uh, we start off with devotions and then we uh, pastorally update ourselves with what's happening with you as it comes to our attention. Then we do our business and then at the end, before we finish, we pray for you, for those people that have come to mind. So, that has how we intentionally pray for each other. But then there's, that's the formal prayer. What about the informal prayer? Now, this is a bit harder to gauge. But I trust that in your quiet times, when you're praying for other folk, you are including people from St Andrews. Now, it's not possible. I suppose if you worked at it, you could, and I'd encourage you to do that. But you don't know everyone here and certainly in the 1030 service. Uh, but you'll know a few folk. And you'll be talking to them over a cup of tea or beforehand or you'll share um, amongst each other and so then you know that you can pray for them during the week. Or you might even say, look, I've heard that you're going through a tough time. Can I pray for you? This is after a cup of coffee after the service or something like that. And so we have a church directory and if you haven't got one, you can always pick one up from the office. We'll get you one and there's a list of names. So you know how it is. Sometimes you think I'm not quite sure that person's name. You can look them up in the directory and pray for them. Pray for them. So informally, are we praying for each other? Well, yes, there are. And I'd like to say a big thank you to you on behalf of Judy and I, and I because I know that you are praying for us. Thank you for including us in your prayers. And so informally, we're praying for each other. Now, let's rank us out of 100%. I don't know where to start with that, really. 
Can we do a better job? Yes, we can do a better job. But I'm confident that there are people that are praying formally and informally for each other. And we, we do pray for each other. And if you know, even if you only know three or four people's names, and I know you know more, if you're praying for those folk, you know, when they come to mind, then they are being doubly blessed because Jesus is praying for them and so are you. So my challenge for this week is as you are praying for other people, and often it's family and friends and situations, to intentionally include some folk from St Andrews. Uh, most of you, I'm sure, are. But if we increase the prayer, the prayer coverage, then we allow the Holy Spirit to do even more tremendous work in our lives. Intercessory prayer. When we go into bat, when we pray a blessing on other folk, and when they pray a blessing on us. Now as we move to communion, let's tie these things together. In this letter, Peter is encouraging us to pray. He's saying, therefore be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. And that's been our springboard into praying for others, intercessory prayer. And we've seen what the senior All Blacks did for their coach, Jesus does for us, but in a true and a better and more marvellous way. And like Peter, we are doubly blessed. We're doubly blessed because people at St Andrews are praying for us. But also, more importantly, Jesus himself prays for us. For he always lives to intercede for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this timely reminder that Jesus is at your right hand praying for us. What a blessing. And I pray that, Lord, we will be encouraged and even challenged to pray for each other. Now, some of us, Lord, feel like we're babies when it comes to prayer and, and we're not really sure what we're doing. But I pray that no matter where we are, whether we're a prayer warrior, confident in your presence, or whether we're tentative and, and not sure what we're doing, wherever we are, Lord, please take our prayers and teach us how to pray better and more effectively with our hearts and minds and souls. We pray this through Jesus' name. Amen.